when it comes to savior movies, there are lots of films out there. One of our favorite types of movies is the hero movie in which a savior comes in and rescues a whole bunch of oppressed people. Uh, some of our favorite movie heroes are saviors. John McClane, Rambo, Captain Kirk. But within this genre of savior movies is a subcategory, the prophesied savior. See, any movie can have a savior, but it takes a special kind of savior to be a prophesied hero. Not every hero achieves that status. Um, Some of our favorite uh, prophesied saviors, uh, Harry Potter, uh, Aragorn, John Connor, Kung Fu Panda... Uh, Here in the Matrix, for example, here in the Matrix, Neo finds that he has been predicted to arrive. A prophecy was given which anticipated his arrival as the one who would lead the humans to defeat the machines. Now, what's so special about a prophesied savior? Well, to be a prophesied savior means that a hero's arrival isn't just luck. Uh, It's been the plan all along. The the heavens have somehow written it in the stars. And the prophecy stands as a note of hope sent from above that help is coming. Uh, The oracle's prophecy to, to Morpheus is intended to give him something to hold on to and something to look forward to as he waits for the Savior to arrive. This is what prophecies do. They give people courage to keep hanging on until the hero finally enters. Of course, this is just the movies. This is just fiction. How much more impressive, though, and how much more important to have an actual prophesied Savior come to earth to rescue us from our foes. As Christians, we follow not just a hero, but one who was prophesied to come. It was predicted that he would arrive to defeat our enemies, and he did. And he's predicted to come again. We hold on to this prophecy while we wait and hope for our Savior Jesus to return just as he said he would. This is actually what we're going to start talking about this morning for the next six weeks or so. We are starting to wind down a 10-month study on the Old Testament book of Isaiah. If you are just joining us and you don't know, Isaiah is a guy who lived eight centuries before Jesus in the nation of Judah. Uh, Judah was created by God to be his family, his special chosen people, Uh, They were given the promised land of Canaan and uh, with the expectation that they would live holy lives, be a light to the nations. The people of Judah weren't that. Instead, they lived lives of paganism and idolatry and immorality. God warned them to repent of their ways, but they didn't change. So finally, God sends a guy, Isaiah, to let them know that as a result of their immorality, uh, they are going to be destroyed as a nation. And this is what we see happen in the book of Isaiah. The nation of Babylon comes and destroys Judah, destroys the temple, and carts off its people into exile. But Isaiah is not all doom and gloom. Throughout the book, God gives Judah hope. He tells them that he still has plans for them, plans to rebuild their nation, plans to rebuild their temple. Uh, He also has plans to give them a leader, a king who will save them from their sins, from their enemies, once and for all. You see, the book of Isaiah is filled with prophecies for a future king who will soon arrive to restore their nation and judge their world, judge our world. Those prophecies are what we're going to be studying in this, our final series on Isaiah, which is called The Future King. So we're going to start by looking at a very famous prophecy 
of the Savior's arrival from Isaiah chapter 11. You actually might recognize some of its verses, but I want to share, share it to you in full. It's from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Now, there is a lot to discuss in this passage. The prophecy actually goes on for a couple more stanzas. So if you like that, there's more where that came from. Just keep reading when you get home. And the passage could take this sermon in a thousand different directions. The poem is a prophecy of a coming ruler, a future king, and a description of what the reign of this king will be like and what this king will be like. Uh, We learned from this passage, for example, that this king will be a man upon whom the Spirit will rest. We learn that he will fear God, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. We learn that he will be a wise judge, who will not judge by what he sees, but he will judge by what is true. He will defend the poor, he will slay the wicked, He will restore the peace of Eden to the earth so that lions will lie with lambs, babies will play with snakes, and children will lead parades of leopards. There will be no conflict, no fear amongst all God's people. We learn that this king will draw all nations to himself, unify them under the banner of heaven. He will fill all the earth with his glory. The coming king will do this and more. Now, Isaiah does not tell us who this king is exactly, or even when he will arrive, but he tells us what he will be like, and how he will look, or how the world will look when he arrives. I should say, though, that the prophet does give us a clue about who this king will be, or at least who this king will be related to. The prophet calls this king a shoot from the stump of Jesse. What? A shoot from the stump of Jesse. 
What's that? Well, this is actually very important. Maybe you don't know who Jesse is. Jesse is the... (laughs) That's not actually Jesse, but that's a famous television Jesse to give you something to look at. Jesse is the father of David, King David, who is the most successful king in the history of God's people. David was a man... (laughs) Also not David, just the famous television David. We are a visual society. (laughs) King David was a man after God's own heart. King David, the son of Jesse, was a man after God's own heart and expanded his nation's territory greater than it had ever been expanded. But then King David had a terrible moral failure involving adultery and murder. His kingdom collapsed, and upon his death, David's sons and grandsons tried to reign as David did, but they actually did much worse. Uh, David's son Solomon had his own problems. David's grandson Rehoboam was a disaster. So were all his descendants. For centuries, the people of God waited for a new king who would help them reclaim their glory days, as in the early days of David's reign. But king after 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 king proved a major disappointment. Finally, the kingly line was effectively cut down. When Judah was exiled to Babylon, there were no kings. The family tree was cut down to a stump, the stump of Jesse, he writes. But here in Isaiah 11, the prophet predicts a new king, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, he writes. From his shoots, a branch will bear fruit. The stump will sprout again. But it will not just be another king who will sprout. Like we read, this king will be a man of the spirit. He will judge the nations. He will restore Eden to earth. He will be more than just a man, more than just another king. In fact, let me show you something that I find actually very interesting. Whether or not you find this interesting uh, will actually make or break the sermon for you. (laughs) In verse 1 of this passage, Isaiah calls this coming king a shoot of Jesse. But later in the passage, he calls him something else. He calls him the root of Jesse. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people. So which is it? Is the king a shoot of Jesse? Or is he the root of Jesse? You know Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy? Says, I am Groot. That's what he says all the time. Everything. I am Groot. What will this king say? I am shoot. Or, I am root. (laughs) What will he say? I am shoot, or I am root. Well, both. He will come as a descendant of David, a shoot, the son of David. But he has to be more than that. You see, if the king to arrive is just another descendant of David's failed line, just another branch, just another shoot, what hope would anybody have that he would be different? The people of Judah know that their kings failed them. Every single king was a disappointment. This is one of the reasons that God didn't want his people of Judah to have a king in the first place. Did you know that? God didn't want his people to have a king in the first place. Early in their history, the people of Judah asked God for a king. They wanted to be powerful. Like all the other nations around them and all the other nations around them had kings, so they demanded a king. And you know what God said to them? God said no. 
You only want a king to be like the other nations, but a king is going to fail you. A king is going to take you into battle. Your sons are going to die. A king will take things from you, your property, your wives, your daughters, your money. A king will corrupt you. You don't want a king, God said. You don't need a king. You only need me. That's what God said. I can take care of you. I can provide for you. I can protect you. I can be your king. And you know what the people said? People said, meh. We read it in 1 Samuel. The people said, no. We want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And what did God say to this? What did God say to this? God said, okay, sure, whatever you want. Sometimes God does this, by the way, right? Sometimes God gives us the exact wrong thing that we need because it's what we want. Oh, you want to marry this person that's absolutely terrible for you? Okay. Oh, you want to take this job that's like going to destroy your life and take you away from your family? Okay. Oh, you want this king who's going to destroy your nation and like kill your sons? Okay. That's what God said. God let them have their king. He even let them pick their king. They picked this guy named Saul. He was a disaster. Then they had David. David was okay for a while, but then he became a disaster. And every other king after that was basically also a disaster. Even their good kings were disasters. Now, I'm I'm giving you this background because it helps explain the prophecy. You see, if The people of Judah heard Isaiah's prophecy that a shoot would sprout from the stump of Jesse and a new king would come. What would they think? They'd think, um, I don't know if we're interested in that. We've had that before. The line of David is a failed royal line. Even their best kings were failures. David was a failure. Solomon was a failure. Asa was a failure. Jehoshaphat was a failure. Ahaziah, Joash, Amaziah, Josiah, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Zedekiah. They were all failures. So why would the people of Judah get excited about another one? If anything, this prophecy should strike fear to the hearts of God's people. Another king? Oh, like one that we've had before? Oh, dear God, please no. But this is the point of the prophecy. This king will be different. The spirit of the Lord will rest on this king. This king will delight in the fear of the Lord. Righteousness will be this king's belt. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Basically, he will not just be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. He will be the root of Jesse. He will not just be the offspring of this kingly line. He will be its source. That's what roots are. They are the source of the tree. He will be the one who supplied these kings with everything that was good about them. He will not just be the shoot. He will be the root. I am root, he will say. Other prophets in the Old Testament actually picked this up, uh, that this king will be different. Uh, The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a contemporary of Isaiah. And he used the same language. In chapter 23 of his book, he writes, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Woe, Woe to those shepherds, those kings who are failing my people, he says. And he goes on, The days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a shoot, a king, who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. 
In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. So here God promises judgment on Judah's shepherds, their kings, for being such failures. And he promises that another king will come, a righteous branch, not a corrupt branch, a righteous branch, a righteous shoot. He will reign wisely and do what is right and just. He will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. He will be from David, but he will be different. So all the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, looks forward to this righteous branch who was more than just your average branch. Now, I don't know if you find this interesting. I find this fascinating, but I'm a Bible nut. Regardless, though, what does it mean? So what? So what that Isaiah prophesies not just a shoot, but a root? So what? What does it mean? Well, this is actually very important. You see, the problem here is that ancient Judah got stuck with roots when what they really needed was the shoot. What they got stuck with shoots when what they really needed was the root. But just like the people of Israel settled for shoots, so do we. We settle for shoots instead of waiting for roots. What do I mean? We settle for leaders, for kings who we know will fail us. I'm talking about politicians. I'm talking about presidents. I'm talking about pastors. I'm talking about mentors. I'm talking about bosses. I'm talking about priests. These are the rulers we demand to have because the other nations have them. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't need leaders. I'm not saying we don't need politicians and pastors and priests and counselors and parents. We, we do. But not to the extent we think we do. And not if our dependence on these leaders eclipses our trust in God's ability to care for us. You see, that was the problem when Israel demanded a king. They wanted to be like the other nations. The other nations have kings, they said. We want a king too. And God told them, I don't want you to be like the other nations. I want you to be different than the other nations. I want you to trust in me. I can take care of you better than any human king king can. But they persisted and they got their king and he led them to national disaster. We make the same mistake though. How so? In all kinds of ways. I get really leery, for example, during election season, when people start talking about the Christian candidates. We start telling ourselves that such and such a candidate will protect our rights and be good for Christians and advance our values, and you've got to vote for this guy. He's our guy, the Christian candidate. They have their guy, and we have our guy. I mean, I actually really get the sentiment, but haven't we been through this before? We've had Christian politicians before. Many of our presidents have been so-called Christians, and our nation has never been as non-Christian as it is now. Do we really want another stump or shoot from the stump of Washington? Oh, dear God, please no. (laughs) Besides which, why do we need our guy? We don't need Christian politicians as much as we think we do, especially if those Christian politicians inhibit us from trusting in God alone. This was God's point to Israel. You don't need kings. You need me. I'm your guy. You don't need another shoot. You need the root. But we insist on having shoots. We insist on having kings in lots of ways. Uh, When we go church shopping, for example, I mean when you go church shopping, for example, I'm usually occupied on Sunday morning. I don't have any time to go shop for churches. But when you go church shopping, for example, the first thing most of us look for is the pastor, right? That's what we look for. What's the pastor like? 
Is he dynamic? Is he charismatic? Is he smart? Is he a good preacher? If we have super high standards, we're going to insist that he looks good on television. Does he have a beautiful family? Does he write books? Does he have a good reputation? That's what many of us want. We want that because that's what the nations have. That's what the other churches have. They have their charismatic leader, and we want ours. But we are just setting ourselves up for disappointment. Just like Christian politicians let us down, so do pastors, especially famous ones. I grew up practically worshiping several Willow Creek pastors, for example. Willow Creek is this big mega church up in Chicago. I mean, I follow these guys like a fanboy. I read their books. I listened to their sermon. For years, I would dry out, drive hours to go listen to them speak at conferences. These were my guys. But in the last few years, several of them have had very terrible, embarrassing, and humiliating moral failures. They're just shoots. Shoots from the stump of Jesse. For that matter, to be clear, so am I. I'm just a king destined to fail. I'm just another shoot, a leader, a pastor destined to fail. So is every other authority figure in your life. Your parents, your counselor, your priest, your boss, your elders. Those are kings destined to fail. And so are you. You're a king too, right? God created you and I to be kings of the earth. This is the story of Genesis. God created the earth and he created us to rule and reign over the earth as his dominion. And we screwed it up. We are failed kings. Do we really want another failed king? We don't need shoots. We need the root. Shoots are only worth anything if they point to the root. I am only worth anything as your pastor if I point to the root, the true king. And I don't have to be dynamic. I don't have to be charismatic. I don't have to be a celebrity. I don't even have to be that smart to do that. That's what we need. We need the root. And this, praise God, is what Isaiah predicts to his nation. A king is coming, the root of Jesse himself. The source of all kingship, he tells Judah, is on his way. It has been foretold. Now, hopefully you know that the root of Jesse has already come. Centuries after Isaiah wrote these words, the root of Jesse sprouted. He came as the descendant of David. His name was Jesus, son of Joseph, came from the town of Nazareth. In so many ways, he fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. The spirit of the Lord rested on him. He delighted in the fear of God. He wore righteousness as his belt. He came to restore peace to creation. And he also came from the line of David. The gospel writers go to great pains to demonstrate that Jesus came as a descendant of David's throne. The gospel writer Matthew, for example, starts off his gospel uh, by explaining who exactly Jesus was in this respect. Here's how he starts his gospel. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. He started out that way because he knew that people would want to know. Sure, this Jesus, impressive guy, does lots of miracles, but is he related to David? And Matthew's saying, yeah. But during his ministry, Jesus insisted he was more than David's son. I'm not just shoot, I am root, he would say. You see, Jesus knew that we don't need another king. We need the king. We need God himself. In fact, these were some of the debates that Jesus actually had with the people, with the Jewish leaders of the day. People would ask him, are you the son of David? And he would say, 
Yeah, but more. In fact, there's this really interesting story in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus gets into a debate with his opponents, the Pharisees, on this point. Uh, you might know it. it's actually a very confusing story. You might have read it, you know, like confused, and you just kind of skip it. But this is an important one. It comes from Matthew chapter 22. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Jesus just stirring it up here. The son of David, the Pharisees replied. That's who the Messiah is. The son, Messiah is the son of David. He said to them, well, how is it that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls the Messiah Lord? For David writes, the Lord said to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls the Messiah Lord, how can the Messiah also be his son? No one could say a word in reply. Jesus often has this effect on social situations. He says something, and I was like, no one knew what to say. Now, I just know the story is actually very confusing. You might have read the story, skipped it before, but it's actually very important. And it's remarkably simple. You see, everybody thought, everybody thought that the Messiah would come as the son of David. That was expected. Every Jew did. And to be sure, David thought that too. While King David was alive centuries before Jesus, he knew that a Messiah would eventually come from his line. David knew that the Messiah would come from his tree, in his family tree. He even wrote that in the passage that Jesus quotes. But David thought something more about this king. David himself doesn't call him son. What does David call the Messiah? Not son, but Lord. So Jesus puts it to them. How can David call the Messiah his son when he also calls him his Lord? How can David predict the Messiah will be born as his descendant, but also call him his Lord, his God? Jesus' point to the Pharisees and to us is that even David knew that the prophesied Messiah to come would be someone more than a descendant. Even David understood that because even he knew that we need someone greater than him. We need someone greater than David. We need someone greater than Solomon. We need someone greater than Moses. We need someone greater than your favorite pastor. We need someone greater than your favorite president, your favorite therapist. We need someone more than shoots. We need the root. We need the king himself. Every human leader that we hope is that isn't, but how we give our lives to them, right? How we follow kings and pastors and presidents and priests who are not the Messiah with a devotion that we should only give to God himself. Why? Why do we give our lives to shoots? Because we're impatient. We don't want to wait For the real king, we want our king now. Other nations have kings and candidates and celebrity pastors. We want ours too. But God wants us to wait and trust in him alone. But it's hard to trust in God. It takes courage and faith. That's harder. Trusting in God is harder than falling in line with our favorite pastor or politician. But there is only one king worth serving. There's only one king worth anything. It's not Solomon. It's not Matt. It's not Skyler. It's not Jeremy. It's not Joel Osteen. It's not David Platt. It's not Donald Trump. It's not Joe Biden. It's Jesus. It's the sh- he's the, it, it, he, he is the shoot. He is the root. He is the king. He is the one who was prophesied to come and did. He was the one who was predicted to make payment for our sins and did when he died on the cross for our sins. He is the one who was predicted to defeat the power of death and did. Right, when he rose from the dead. And Jesus is the one who was prophesied to come again at the end of time 
to rescue us from sin and death once and for all. He himself makes that prediction on the night of his arrest. Uh, The Jewish leaders continue to debate who Jesus is before putting him to death. At his trial, they ask him, they ask him this question. They're still trying to sort this out. They ask him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus answered, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus predicted that just as he had come once, he would come again. And we have no reason to doubt it. Why would Jesus be right about his first arrival and wrong about his second? He knows we need him to come back. He knows we need the root more than we need any more shoots. He prophesied his return. He'll make good on it. It's up to us to wait and hope and not settle for shoots while we're waiting for the root. Verse 